This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Matthew Von Lewa, who's the Chief Administrative Officer for Population Health Initiatives and Hospital Services at Geisinger. Matthew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. It's just really a fascinating time in healthcare and certainly a lot going on in population health and really at Geisinger, always on the forefront of healthcare delivery and innovations and transformation. So I'm excited for our discussion, but before we dive in there, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background and your role at Geisinger? Absolutely, uh, Matt Van Lewa, uh, I'm the Chief Administrative Officer, as you mentioned. Uh, what that really means is for population health initiatives, I have uh, the privilege to work with our teams that are in lab and radiology, case management, utilization management, uh, emergency medicine, pre-hospital, those, those types of things. And for population health, uh, that includes our senior care model, our community medicine sites, which is our primary care model, and our behavioral health and substance use disorder treatment facilities. So cover a lot of geography, but it's really fascinating work for me. That's fantastic to hear. And, you know, given that focus, what are some of the big issues that you're following in healthcare right now? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as most other systems would probably say, uh, certainly staffing continues to be a top priority. You know, we here have a, a, a market where we have a largely aging population and a very rural demographic. Uh, the only growing population in our primary service market is 65 and older. And we generally know that that group um, tends to utilize and require more health resources and are generally not part of the working population. And so, uh, one of the biggest concerns that we have in areas that we're really focusing our attention and resources is developing new staff, um, targeting the, the middle school and high school students, uh, educating them on what opportunities they have to join the workforce in healthcare. It's such a diverse workforce. It's not just nurses and physicians and APs. You know, there's imaging technologists and laboratory staff and a variety of other areas where we definitely need their uh, expertise as well. So focusing a lot not only on training current students uh, that are potentially entering the workforce, but also supporting our current employees with on-the-job training and school at work programs that allow our employees to elevate their skill sets and potentially look for new jobs within the organization. Um, given my scope with population health, behavioral health is, is another big focus for us. Uh, we, we have um, a very robust telemedicine service that supports our behavioral health patients across the state, as well as an inpatient substance use disorder program, uh, which we call Marworth. And I'm pleased to report that uh, in 2023, Newsweek ranked us number one in Pennsylvania and number five nationally for our quality. So a really great program caring for some of our most at-risk population. Um, I already mentioned the rural area and, and all the work that we're doing to try to improve access for them, but it's also in our acute setting. Um, many uh, of our markets have seen closures recently from smaller hospitals, largely independent, and so the overall bed capacity in our market has dropped in the past year. That's resulted in some overcrowding in our EDs and higher than anticipated demand for our beds. So continuing to grow private rooms, continuing to smooth processes so that we can get patients cared for efficiently and safely will be a top priority as we move into 2024. 
That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that last thing you were talking about in terms of being in the rural space, I, I know we report on regularly hospitals that are in danger of closing or, or those that have closed um, and, and really how that impacts the broader community, the market and the region for healthcare because patients still need access to care um, despite, you know, some of the challenges that hospitals are going through right now. So when you look at those trends and see um, the real impact of, you know, bed capacity dropping in, in higher um, patient volume in emergency departments and needing to create more space for those patients. How are you thinking about that um, at Geisinger in really trying to manage that influx um, while also making sure that, you know, you're providing as much access to care as possible? Yeah, it's a great question. Unfortunately, it's a hard one to answer. Uh, the approach we are taking is kind of a short-term and a long-term approach. In the short-term we're leveraging other um, access points like our convenient care sites, which is a walk-in clinic where patients can come get treated for low acuity um, concerns. We also have Convenient Care Plus, which is one step above. It, it has some imaging modalities and can treat a little bit higher acuity uh, and hopefully avoid some patients going to the ED when they can be seen and treated at our walk-in clinics. We're also leveraging uh, technology, and we have virtual urgent care uh, where we've seen tremendous growth over the last two years of patients opting to use telemedicine uh, to get, again, fairly low acuity um, uh, care that's easily accessible and convenient in areas where you might have to drive for quite a bit to get to a brick-and-mortar shop. Uh, so from the short term, we're, we're really, really leveraging those alternate sites of care to try to decompress the demand on the ED. Now, of course, there will always be those patients that really do need the, the acuity and meet the acuity and need the treatment in a, in a hospital setting. And so we are planning to grow. We've expanded our emergency departments in several markets. We have um, ongoing master facilities planning to increase our private occupancy rooms and increase our total number of beds. But again, that construction takes years, not months. And so that's the more longer-term play. In the meantime, we will leverage alternate sites of care uh, to try to address that influx where we can. And, of course, partnering with other hospitals in our, in our market where we can. You know, for our, from our perspective, if a patient can stay in one of those hospitals and we can support that care through access to specialty consults via telemedicine, that's better for that patient. It's better for that hospital that, that needs those patients there to remain viable. And it's better for us because we can reserve our uh, inpatient acute quaternary beds for those patients that really need to be there physically. I think that makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for going through that strategy at a high level for us. Now, I I'm wondering too, you know, what are you most excited about for the future and what makes you nervous? It's a great question. You know, a couple of really interesting things that I'm fortunate enough to be involved with here at Geisinger. Um, you know, we, we have uh, long had a tradition uh, of advancing value-based care models. And uh, one of our, uh, or two of our uh, footprints in that field is our 65 forward program, which is designed exclusively for uh, patients that are 65 years and older with a focus on wellness in and in a relaxing environment. We provide longer visits with doctors and we have social activities that encourage, you know, healthier, happier interactions with our participants. And we've really seen tremendous um, improvement in terms of ED utilization, medication adherence, uh, inpatient uh, admissions, 
it, it really has uh, driven quality and, and health in a way that I've not seen with other programs. Uh, a second one is our Life Geisinger program. This is a PACE program. It specializes in caring for adults 55 years and older um, with services designed specifically to support seniors so that they can live independently at home but still have access to comprehensive daily living and health services. Another benefit of this program, in addition to caring for those patients, is it provides some relief to family caregivers that often struggle uh, to care for their loved ones uh, alone. So both of those models tremendously excited about the outcomes have been very good. Uh, we see tremendous decreases in the need to utilize the ED in our inpatient services, which again, helps us address some of those capacity issues. So extremely excited about those. Another one that I'm sure you're aware of is the announcement last year of, of RISET, uh, along with Kaiser Permanente. We're very excited about that. You know, we've, uh, Geisinger has been providing care in, in Pennsylvania for over 100 years, and we really see Ryzen as an opportunity with Kaiser Permanente's backing to ensure that Geisinger can continue to serve well into the future. So very excited about the possibilities that Ryzen brings to the table so that we can continue to drive value and make health easier in our populations. And that's fascinating to hear. And, you know, you're right. I, I think Ryzen is something that when we covered it um, from Becker's last year, people were fascinated by the idea of Kaiser Permanente coming together with Geisinger um, and creating this new entity that, you know, is focused on value-based care and, and other things that can help keep healthcare accessible and, and stable for um, years to come. When you look at those types of opportunities and kind of the, the new and interesting partnerships, you know, what do you, I, I guess, how do you really make sure that as an organization, as a health system, um, you're able to have, continue to move forward and grow um, and just make sure that everybody's on board with the direction that the health system is going? Yeah, it, you know, this is an area where there's not a lot of um, uh, history, right? It's a relatively new model. And so, uh, we have a tremendous group of people, you know, that have various backgrounds in public health and managing large populations. Data, big data is really important in this, and in addition to our health plan partners. So it, it really is a dedicated group and finding the right people that not only have a passion for this, but have the background in order to kind of build models and advance thoughts that really do benefit the population in a more cost-effective way. Uh, you know, preventing that admission by making sure those patients stay healthy before they get sick is certainly better for the patient and ultimately more financially viable for organizations, but extraordinarily difficult to do in practice. Um, so it, I don't know that I have the secret sauce clearly defined just yet, but we're certainly working on it and excited about the progress we've made so far. That's great to hear. Now, before we wrap up, I was wondering if you could talk about what you feel the most effective healthcare leaders will need to be successful in the next two to three years. As we've talked about, there's a lot of change happening in the healthcare space, um, some that is exciting, some that is a little bit more nerve wracking. So as a leader, how do you really make sure you're ready and prepared to lead your team to success um, going forward? Yeah, it's it's been a challenging year. I think we all recognize that. And I think some of the traditional dynamics of what people see in successful leaders has, has changed somewhat, or, or maybe certain aspects have been uh, deprioritized where others have risen uh, in priority. I think some of those uh, are, are openness and honesty and willingness to 
meet your staff where they are and, and engage with them in a meaningful way. Um, I think the ability to connect with teams and, and inspire them across multiple facets of the organization is extremely important. We have a very varied, a varied group of professionals that all work together to make sure we provide good care, and each of those groups have different needs and expectations from their leaders. So having the ability to connect with all of them in a meaningful way, develop that trust, and help them understand um, very complex challenges that face the organization is going to be critical. So communication, transparency, and the willingness to connect. I think another one really is we talked a lot about value-based models is understanding the, the shifting payment structures and opportunities to drive value versus volume uh, will be a key differentiator for successful leaders in the future. Um, lastly, and, and it goes without saying really is you know, we, we have to continue to have an unwavering dedication to just providing high-quality care to our patients. That's ultimately why we're here. That's ultimately why we have the, the teams do what they do, and that will always remain at the forefront of, of how successful leaders in healthcare operate. That, that's amazing to hear. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm-hmm.